Welcome to episode 15 of The Flight Stuff, an Alpha Flight podcast, possibly one of the best, who knows. My name is Liam O'Donnell, I am one of your hosts and uh, founding editor of Cinepunks.com. My name is Adriana Gober, managing editor of Cinepunks.com. And I'm Doug Tilly, a contributor to Cinepunks.com and a Canadian, which uh, gives me a certain level of expertise on the show. And a certain ego, am I right? Huh? Yeah, well, certainly. Cana- Again, I'm Canadian. Canadian... Canadian ego? Mm. All right. Mm. Hey, you know what's great? Here on the flight stuff, we don't get a lot of news when it comes to Alpha Flight. And yet, there is Alpha Flight news. Liam, is the reason uh, that we don't get a lot of news about Alpha Flight is because Alpha Flight is startlingly unpopular as a franchise? <laughs> Stop it. Stop <laughs> it. Well, when, when I'm in the real world, Liam, and I mentioned that I have an Alpha Flight podcast, usually the response, and I'm used to this with a lot of the podcast work I do, is, huh? What? Who? They have no idea what I'm talking about. Uh, weirdly, I have had a response where people know what I'm talking about, but uh, the people who know what I'm talking about go, wait, you do what? An Alpha Flight <laughs> podcast? <laughs> and then uh, half the time, they, even though they've just responded as if the existence of such a thing is confusing and weird, they then go, can I come on your Alpha Flight podcast? <laughs> I was like, wait, you just well, acted like this was such a weird thing. What? Why, why? I mean... You are right. The people who know what it is, they tend to be really interested, which is a good thing for us because, hey, we're devoting a lot of time to this thing. It's true. It's true. So uh, I have here right in front of me a cover for a new Alpha Flight comic book, Alpha Flight True North. Have you all seen this thing? You've seen it. You've seen it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's a variant cover. Um, so it's it's not going to be the A cover. It's the B cover. But... Yeah, this is a is a new variant cover they just revealed uh, by Ramon Perez, and I saw somebody make this comment online, and it's what the first thing that came to my mind as well. It's that it, it kind of looks like an homage of sorts to that uh, post credit scene in, in mm-hmm. the Avengers, where they're all sort of sick from eating shawarma. Right. Yeah. But no, I, case, I think it's I think it's a clear um, homage yeah. to that. Yeah. But in this case, we have Alpha Flight, the classic Alpha Flight lineup, uh, sort of all just looking bloated and sick, sitting around a table uh, with poutine, of course. Um, and uh, I, I'm, I was really tickled by this cover. I love it. I, I'm super excited in general for Alpha Flight True North. Uh, but it's it's nice that we've had sort of a steady stream of information about this mm. uh, one shot since it's been announced. Now, they're eating poutine. Doug, as a Canadian, do you feel stereotyped or is this actually accurate? All you do is eat poutine all day. You know, it's kind of an interesting thing that you bring up there, Liam. I have to be honest. When I was growing up, I never ate poutine, not once. It wasn't something uh, back in Newfoundland that was commonly available. I feel, It feels to me like it was a 1990s thing outside of Montreal that it started to kind of expand outwards and became a national identity food as opposed to something that was just French Canada. Though I have to say, I think that uh, the people of Quebec have um, – they probably are are very – uh, precious, <laughs> maybe that's not the right word, about what poutine is, how you define it, what it's supposed to be. B- because in the city in which I live, there's a restaurant just around the corner that has uh, 100 plus versions of poutine that you can order uh, with all sorts of different toppings. But uh, in this particular cover, it looks like they're going very traditional fries, gravy, cheese curds, um, and and everyone seems to be, well, I wouldn't say enjoying it necessarily, but they're all eating it. What I like most about this cover, Liam, is that my precious Marina is there. Um, it looks like she's next to a Mountie, in fact, in, near the background. Uh, but uh, but I, I really love the expressions of all the characters in this particular, even Sasquatch, yeah. parti- particularly Aurora, who I think is giving just a, a really amazing angry pout. Uh yeah, no, I really, I love it. Uh, this is exactly the sort of, um, you know, it's it, it's serious, tinged with humor. Uh, yeah, it, it. I think it really finds that balance that I hope that the uh, miniseries itself ends up having. Well, speaking of the the miniseries, we also got that seven page preview, which I don't know. Have either of you guys seen that? I have now looked at it, and I like it. I mean, again, the the art is obviously different than here on the cover, since it's from uh, some different creators. Um, but I feel like it's it's kind of nice to see. Maybe I, mean, I might be alone in this, so I'll just put it out there. It's kind of nice to see these characters with sort of modern coloring and modern art, just because I'm so used to now seeing 
you know, older versions, 1980s style art in regards to it. And I might get sick of it if I was looking at it all the time, but I just like to see kind of a re-envisioning of some of the characters. Um, and even though it doesn't, uh, in those preview pages, it doesn't show all of the characters and it doesn't have any of the dialogue or anything like that. Uh, it's just kind of, it feels kind of refreshing and sort of uh, exciting just to see them in action again. Yeah, I'm right with you. I haven't gotten a chance to look at it. I will take some time so that I am a good Alpha Flight podcaster. Tisk, I didn't. What are you doing with all your time? <clears throat> until, I, until you told me about it, I didn't know it existed, and I have no idea how to find <laughs> it. But I will. I'll find it. Uh, well, for people who do want to check it out, uh, it's linked over on our Twitter feed at Flight Stuff Pod. You can check it out right now. Oh, I have us blocked because I don't want uh, I don't want our <laughs> I don't want our tweets to corrupt my performance on this podcast. So, uh, all right. Well, I'm excited. I'm I'm glad that that there's new Alpha Flight material coming out. I assume uh, we'll talk about it a little bit on on episodes as it comes out, uh, but we still have our own main thing to talk about, which is we're making our way through Alpha Flight, and we're back! We're back in the actual yeah. main book! I'm so excited! Are you all excited? Adrian, are you excited? Oh yeah, I'm I'm, I'm ready and raring to go here. Well, I know you're a big fan of Bill Mantlo. You've been complaining that we haven't been covering Bill Mantlo <laughs> this whole time, and you can't wait for us to I don't to know do... if that's quite true. Oh, no, it's not true. You hate Bill Mantlo. I forgot. Hey, come on now. I think that's strong as well. That, yeah, that seems okay. like a... yeah. I'm going back and forth here. You're right, you're right, you're right. So we're back into it here in the main uh, series, Alpha Flight, with Alpha Flight number 29 from December 1985, covered by Mike Mignola and uh, Bob Wycheck, uh, written by Bill Mantlo, penciled uh, throughout by Mike Mignola. I'm excited to get back into the main series here to talk a little bit about uh, the future of uh, of where we're going. Uh, Doug, what happens in this issue? Well, a long time listeners of the show might know that this is actually the second part of a story that we uh, started uh, three episodes back. So we've been away for a little while. The first thing's first. It's the Incredible Hulk. The Hulk is running wild in the Alpha Flight headquarters, and the group are anything but united. Box finds himself almost trapped in his metal suit due to Hulk-related damage. Aurora is overwhelmed with grief, uh, and after Talisman's deserved meltdown, Shaman has lost his faith to the point where his medicine pouch no longer works. The Hulk demolishes the place, heads into Vancouver proper, searching for the deserts where he was quote-unquote born, but finding himself enraged by the landscape. Heather rallies the members, including Snowbird, who was uh, psychically called by Shaman, and they have a bit more luck preventing him from destroying the city. Eventually, the Canadian army shows up, and the Hulk just sort of leaves. Like, he just kind of (laughs) decides to go. Uh, So I guess that's a win. Snowbird, she chases him to the border, but of course her powers don't work in the U.S., so uh, at that point, I guess it's the Avengers problem. Uh, The group afterwards are licking their wounds when Gary Cody, remember him? He arrives with some very surprising news, considering they just unleashed a creature that caused millions of dollars worth of damage (laughs) in downtown Vancouver. Department H, they're being funded by the Canadian government again, inexplicably, so I guess it's time for the group to move. Uh, And uh, I'll just say right off the bat, Liam, this feels very much like what it is, which is a transitionary issue to kind of reset things and put them in place in a way that this new creative team can kind of uh, go forward with a new attitude, with a new perspective. And I'm very curious to hear what everyone's thoughts are on on it. Well, before we get into this reset, this this re redo, this this resetting the table, let's talk a little bit about this cover. What do you think of this cover of Alpha Flight issue number 29? I'm sort of getting tired of Alpha Flight covers where the group have been battered and beaten. I know that that's yeah. part of the deal. And there's because, only so much we can say about those the, yeah. those types of covers. Exactly. And though it does actually reflect what happens in the beginning of this issue where they get totally destroyed by the Hulk. Uh, I kind of wish that they addressed the Sasquatch thing a little more directly. I'm sure that's going to happen in a few issues. But um, the way that it's presented here, it feels like it's going to be looming over the story a little bit more than it actually ends up in. In the, uh, in the story proper. One thing about this uh, cover, and it's not really part of the cover image that I did like, is um, readers of Alpha Flight will know that in the top left-hand corner of the cover, it has kind of a uh, summary of all of the Alpha Flight members that are going to be in that issue. And it's so nice to see eight of them there. And that is yeah. one thing that I'm sure we'll talk about going forward. And I hope maybe it's a Bill Mantlo thing. It certainly wasn't a John Byrne thing. Is I want to see the group as I've said many times before, working together. And that is what we start to get here. The only problem is, uh, even when they're working together, they all seem so distracted that they don't really work as a uh, a strong unit. 
but that I guess is also reflected in the the collateral damage that we see on the cover. I do like how Mike Mignola draws the Hulk, as we mentioned in the most recent episode of the show. Uh, I mean, it, there, there's something mysterious about it. I I wish that it maybe was a little bit more considering that this is like a brand new jumping on point for a lot of people, a new creative team. It feels like they could have done something a little bigger as like, you know, Alpha Flight is renewed. Alpha Flight is something different. It's the all new Alpha Flight. But uh, considering how often they do that with creative teams in like 2019, it's I guess it's, there's something refreshing of it just sort of being another cover. Yeah, I think... Um... I think I would like it as a continuity cover if it wasn't for the fact that, as we've sort of suggested, the issue seems to be about, all right, starting over, new guys in, we're doing something different. Uh, I do I do have to say, and we, we talked about this before, but I just want to bring it up again. I love me some thick boy Hulk. Look how thick Hulk is in this picture. He's just yeah. the thickest of thick boys, and I like it. It's like... He is a thick daddy yeah, on that cover, Yeah, sure. dog. I think it's real good, and I appreciate it. Uh, let's, let's jump in to talking about the story here uh doug already suggested a little bit that this is kind of like a like a uh, setting the table anew for our new team adriana what yeah. what did you think about this as as a way for us to jump into this new creative team well i, I actually i want to get something out of the way first just to put a period at the end of a conversation we started to have in our previous episode and so uh very early on in this issue Aurora is repulsed by the idea of Walter being inside the Hulk's form. Yeah. So that kind of shoots down the theory we had that she's into sex with large beast men. It seems to be just Walter and Sasquatch that she's into. So I think I think that answers our question. I mean, I think it answers that Bill Mantlo's not stoked on the idea. I don't know how how our former creative team felt about it, but uh, Bill wants us to know that he's a bit of a traditionalist when it comes to uh, uh, relationships. And I'm worried just from some of the content in this issue, Bill Mantlo's a little skeptical when it comes to all kinds of uh, differences in humans. Uh, Oh, boy. (laughs) uh, Simply in the fact of how uh, we're given box and uh, how how, uh, he feels about his own physical form. Oh, yeah. Uh, it, it, you know, Adriana, what did you think about some of the ways that uh, we've got some of our characters talking about themselves in this issue, uh, specifically Box? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess it, it's not the best. <laughs> Fair. <laughs> and I remember, I think it was this issue as well, where Heather has a monologue where she's talking about all of the fail- failings of the team. And she mentions the fact that, uh, you know, Puck is a dwarf with no powers and that Box is a cripple. All kinds of interesting word choices. She gets a little more into it in the next issue when they're all. She does like a a mom checking on her babies sort of scene. Oh, maybe and that's she says maybe horrible things about two. all of her you know supposed children. That's what I'm thinking. Of. Uh, but no, it, there's a little bit in this issue too of this is feeling of inadequacy and and you know Doug, you mentioned that you're getting tired of covers where the team seems to just be on on their butts here, but uh, but that seems to be uh, Mantlo's uh, at least in these in this issue sort of confirmed for us that the team's together we're gonna get some teamwork but that they're broken toys and and i don't know how i feel about that as a theme doug how did you feel about that as sort of an emerging theme in this issue the thing is it could work in how you would think it would play out here which is that at the beginning of the group they're all divided because they're distracted aurora's worried about walter shaman is worried about talisman that, that they're just not Uh, working as efficiently as a team as they should. So the Hulk absolutely demolishes them. He starts rampaging in Vancouver. But then Heather, the leader of the team, she rallies them, gets them all together. Snowbird is there. She's back with the team. They're feeling more cohesive. They're able to put that stuff to the side. And they're going to get a victory over the Hulk. Except that's not what happens. For one thing, they, they basically just play to a stalemate. And then the... Canadian Army has to come in to help. And even then, the Hulk just wanders off. It's a really strange... I mean, I get it. It's not like they can just demolish the Hulk. Hulk is an A character in everybody's mind. and But, you know, a whole team of superheroes should be able to get some sort of, at least, moral victory over him. Uh, I think I think we're supposed to interpret it that that, that confrontation... That the very fact that they stop him from destroying the entire city of Vancouver is supposed to be a win for Alpha Flight, but it doesn't feel like a win. And it seems particularly hollow for 
the creature that they unleashed on the city, that they actually brought to Vancouver and let run wild and couldn't stop, then the Canadian government are like, you know what, let's reward you for literally, you know, destroying one of the major cities in this country. Yeah, it's it's an ending that doesn't exactly feel earned, and it also feels very anticlimactic. Like, if they could have stopped him, even then it would have been a little funny because they did bring the Incredible Hulk there. But if they stopped him and knocked him unconscious, or I I guess he's in a state now where he can't just turn back into Bruce Banner. But at least if they contained him and shipped him off to the States or something like that, then then at least you could see, you know, the Canadian government are like, wow, there's dangers here. We need a superhero team to deal with them. And then you could make the case. But as it is now, it just looks like the conservative government of the 1980s are like, you know what's great? People who can destroy things. Let's give Alpha Flight some money. Well, I wonder. There's two themes that continue on, and I and I don't want to jump ahead to the next issue, but they're sort of hinted at a little bit here that I wonder if if we're supposed to be getting, which is a, can they even trust the government? Is the government bringing them on board just so they can control them or keep an eye on them or even you know uh, have a bit ability to completely rein them in? Uh, the other one being this idea that um, you know that that. Maybe this is just about uh, the Mantlo team sort of saying like, well, we're going in an entirely different direction, and now here it is. We're going in a different direction. Uh, but that also doesn't quite work for me. I, I don't know. I, I, I get the skepticism, and I get the idea of needing to, to change the, the maybe the um, the rudder by which we are guiding the ship. But but I found myself feeling like this all was a little bit disjointed. Uh, Adriana, did you feel like this was consistent enough for you to, to be excited about the future? Or did this feel like almost like a different... I don't know. It, it, it felt almost like a, a note that didn't ring true with the rest of, of the symphony that we've been listening to. What, what did you think? Yeah, maybe Manlo <laughs> needs to uh, tune his violin. Yeah. <laughs> um, that was a bad joke. Uh, <laughs> I I tend to agree with you. It does. It seems like Mantlo is just hitting a hard reset button on this series and that he maybe could have smoothed that transition out a little more than he did. But it wasn't it wasn't so jarring to me that like I it completely took me out of the issue this is sort of it's interesting because if this feels like maybe a a little bit out of step with what we've known for what we've seen from Alpha White so far then you better brace yourself because Mantlo gets very retcon happy yeah yeah uh as as his run progresses and this is really just the tip of the iceberg um something interesting that I want to touch on real quick uh, and I can't remember if we ever discussed this before on this show, but there's a moment where it seems like Walter is gone for good and uh, Northstar is consoling a distraught Aurora and she notices that he is crying as well and is taken back aback by this. And uh, John Byrne is on record stating that he had actually written Northstar very subtly as having feelings for Walter and that part of his uh, rivalry with Walter was, was actually like jealousy over his sister's relationship with Walter. And it seems like Bill Mantlo is kind of uh, going to that dry, going to that well a bit, um, which I was surprised by, but uh, it's an interesting moment that he, he doesn't really dwell on for too long. It kind of comes and then passes and, I don't know. I I thought it was interesting. I was just curious if either of you guys picked up on that. I 100% had not picked up on that or on the idea that his uh, animosity towards Walter was about his own feelings for him um, uh, uh, and his jealousy. I I didn't get that at all. Doug, is that something that you had had picked up on from Byrne? Oh, I I hadn't picked up on it previously, except when I believe uh, Adriana mentioned it on a previous episode. But certainly with the sequence here, where it makes a real point of showing Northstar crying. I mean, it, it makes that kind of subtext very uh, on the surface, very overt. Um, and it's it's interesting. I, it, I don't think it's explored in any great detail yeah. uh, out, outside of probably offhand comments because Northstar, his attitude towards everyone is so negative and that's part of what his character is that it, it – could easily just be interpreted, and I guess that's that was by design as just his general animosity that he he would have towards that character anyway, and the fact that that he's worried about his sister as well. So the way that it plays out here, it you know even now you could probably interpret it, his crying as being more about like uh, 
concern for a teammate or having his sisters or being or having sympathy uh, or empathy for what his sister is going through. But in the context of what we know about North Star, it certainly seems like they're making a point to focus on it. Yeah. And I actually uh, I I just found a little back and forth on the Burn Robotics forum on this topic. Um, so somebody posted and asked John Byrne. In the course of Apple Flight, North Star was unhappy and sometimes even angry about Aurora's relationship with Walt Lankowski. Was that mostly about seeing Walt as a rival for Aurora's devotion, or was John Paul harboring feelings for Walt himself? And John Byrne says, smart reading, John Paul was indeed nurturing emotions of a romantic kind for Walt. And in another post uh, below that, he says, what might I have done without the comics code and Jim Shooter in the way? What's crazy to me about that is, I don't think that... I, I I actually think I didn't get that reading because of a prejudice I have. And that prejudice is, is I don't like Walter. So the idea that that, <laughs> that Northstar would lower himself to be attracted to such a buffoon really bums me out. Like, I just see so much better well, for him. It must run in the family. Yeah. That, 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 I mean, yeah. That's I mean, I guess that's basically what's going on here is I already think Aurora is too good for Walter. Now I have to to be bummed out that, that Northstar is also attracted to this fool. It really makes me unhappy. I mean, I don't know what it is that burns solid Walter at all to even have him as a character in this book. I always hope that... That secretly Byrne also hated Walter and that that what was going on there is that Walter <laughs> represented something negative. But now I suspect that maybe Byrne actually had his own f- positive feelings for Walter, which I do not approve of. So whatever. I, I wonder I wonder sometimes uh, that comment that that Byrne made in that post about what he could have done if the comics code uh, and the editors were not ho- holding him back. You know, Byrne isn't the most subtle writer in the world. Um, and I, I hate to say this because I think that, um, that, that it would have been really great if North Star could be who that character was supposed to be. And as Byrne has, uh, apparently, apparently devised him as, uh, back in the early eighties, I think that would have been a lot more impactful than even how it, how the character progressed afterwards, as far as I know. Um, but I do think that in some ways the comics code forcing him to be more subtle made it a little more interesting for us going back and reading it yeah, because of the small hints. Because I worry about whether it be Burns' attitudes or maybe just the attitudes of the time period. If you, I mean, you know, I'm not that he was going to make him this mincing character or something like that or this camp character. But I like the idea that it 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 was something that he couldn't necessarily put on the surface. So. He had to be a little bit more uh, interesting and intelligent about it. Yeah, yeah totally. I- there's there's more layers to it, and it's and it's more fun to try to dive deep and pick that apart than maybe something that would have been totally on the surface. Yeah, I mean mm-hmm. the the assumption that if he could have written him. Uh, more directly that he would have been qualified to write him more directly is like <laughs> not necessarily clear, right? That the very- I mean, if we look at what he did with that gay guy character, it, it certainly isn't, uh, it doesn't bode well, but you know. Yes. Yeah. My, my worry is that the burn, the burn writing North star we got was the best burn writing North star we were going to get. I, I, that may not be true, but it, it certainly feels that way to me as a reader. Uh, I, I kind of want to get y'all's read on this, uh, this last little sort of thing that we've mentioned here that alpha flight are now going to become more directly the analog of the avengers and that they are you know canada's official fighting force though side note i don't know that the avengers are the official fighting force of the united states per se uh but but at least that's sort of the read that we get um that heather even says like oh i guess we'll be more like the avengers now um what do y'all think is this is this exciting is this maybe not exciting uh doug i'll start with you you love your homeland and don't see it as uh just the analog (laughs) evil of the united states are you stoked on this or or do you think it's it's not a great possibility it's an interesting wrinkle for me it always has felt like the group hasn't been tethered to one particular place they've always been searching for a home base It, it always feels like they've never uh been able to kind of uh become cohesive as a group because they're always split and grouped all over the place. And Canada is such a huge location, right? And of course, when we do hear about them, it's only in these major city centers. Um, and it, for some reason, a lot of the Western part of the country uh, and not so much the Eastern. So for me, it's, it's curious. And I like the little other wrinkle, which is they're being tied to the government. We'll talk about that in the next issue, I'm sure as well. 
How it's going to play out, I have no idea. Again, I don't read ahead particularly uh, specifically for that reason because I like to have a little surprise as we go forward. But there's a part of me that even though it's making the group more traditional and maybe because they're more traditional, a little bit less interesting, I do think it it is the natural next step to make them an actual unit. One other question, Liam, I'm just going to throw this out there. When the Canadian government show up to try to stop the Incredible Hulk, how come they didn't use some of their Transformer technology that we saw (laughs) in that earlier issue? I thought for sure this would be the time to pull it out. But no, I mean, look, I'm hopeful, though uh, we get a much more of a sense of how this is going to work or the difficulties with how it's going to work in the next issue. Adrian, I know you're naturally a, a hater of all authority and you want to destroy governments where you find them, <laughs> even weak governments like the Canadian one. How did you feel about <laughs> Department H uh, suddenly getting involved at the end of this issue? I mean, ambivalent, because like, like Doug, I have uh, some issues with the idea of this uh, team being an arm of the government, basically. But uh, I, I, I think they have their work cut out for them if they want to be the Avengers of Canada. That's a lot to live up to. But uh, it we'll, we'll see whether uh, it works out that way. I mean, part of the appeal of the Avengers, right, is that they, much like Fantastic Four, have already proved themselves on a galactic stage. And I'm not mm. sure that Alpha Flight has had that opportunity yet, but I don't know. Maybe maybe they will. Maybe they will. Um, let's, before we jump into the next issue here, talk a little bit about the art. We've got a whole new artistic team at work here not just a, a narrative uh, team but but visually as well um we'll start with you adriana what did you think about the art what stuck out what stood out to you in this issue there's a lot of interesting things going on art wise with this issue and uh, i don't know if you guys feel the same way but i felt engaged by the art here on a level that i haven't been in a while um with the stuff that we've been covering like there's um there's uh, a few inset panels and overlapping panels that really work in service to conveying uh, a sense of time and, and fluidity of, of movement, which we haven't been seeing as much lately. And, uh, you know, there's instances of, of dialogue balloons and characters breaking the frame and, and crossing over into the gutter. You know, at one point, it looks like the Hulk is leaping out of the panel towards the reader. Um, just a, a lot of really creative things that uh, Mignola does here that uh, I thought were really cool and uh, a, a bit different from what we've been seeing. Yeah, I appreciate that. Doug, w- did you feel the same or do you miss Byrne in this issue? No, I don't miss Byrne, but that has nothing to do with Byrne's art necessarily. It's just nice to have a little bit of a change. We should mention, by the way, that um, that Mike Mignola isn't the only credited interior artist on this that jerry talia talak uh i apologize if i'm screwing up the pronunciation there i i, I don't know if he's what his yeah, did he do pencils or was he just inking he, i know that he has the ink credit on the next well, issue it's interesting because you're right he's credited as the inker on the next issue but here he's credited under the artists at the beginning while he's not in the next issue so i don't know if he did some penciling as well but i do think that there's a difference in terms of the art in between this issue and the next one, in that the next issue feels a little more Mike Mignola esque, from what I know, mm, uh, yeah, which is interesting. Which isn't a good or bad thing necessarily. It's just that when I was reading this issue, I was surprised at how kind of Marvel style it was in terms of the art, uh, and that every once in a while you'll see something that really um, kind of reflects what we know of Mignola as an artist, the use of heavy shadows, uh, the strong line work, that sort of thing. But I think if you go through it, you can kind of see that it does seem like the art style shifts around a little bit, which does suggest that maybe there was a little help on the interiors. Um, Maybe it was because that last issue, Mignola had to do that and this one in the same month. Yeah. Um, I do like it, though. You're right. It does kind of feel a little overpacked. There's just so much going on in this issue that it feels like, like... there just has to be action all the time. There's lots of text uh, on a, a lot of uh, speech bubbles on a lot of the uh, the panels. Um, but then again, that's that's sort of what you would get from a transitionary issue like this where so much has to be covered. I mean, you basically have two giant Incredible Hulk attacks and you have the, uh, the ending where you're transitioning into this new era of Alpha Flight. Uh, I think considering uh, how messy i think the plot as a whole is that the art really holds things together and i think that's a credit yeah, i agree i think that's a credit to um Mignola's style and also his storytelling ability um just a note about the a lot of text that you mentioned mm-hmm. there's a lot of very clunky exposition so going much. on in this issue yeah 
Yeah, I got to agree with you there. And and for me, I'm in a weird place with this art, and, and, and we'll talk about it more in the next issue as well. I think um, uh, Byrne has done great stuff in what we've read up till now, but there's also been a lot in the recent issues of, uh, I think, a real lack of creativity. And I think there's a lot more creativity in this issue and even more so in the, in the next issue. On the other hand, just at a basic aesthetic level, I still kind of prefer – style a little Mm. bit and how he draws the characters so i felt myself kind of torn i think narratively there's there there and i think even uh, a little bit more in certain parts of the next issue um i like the dynamism of of what is happening here that reminds me of of some of the creativity burn brought to certain issues but had not been bringing recently uh but the style of how he draws the characters uh i kind of prefer burn style a little bit except for uh thick daddy hulk who i think is great. <laughs> uh so ju- so i just found myself kind of going back and forth a little bit about the art in this issue and i think a little bit in next issue as well so i'm kind of curious to see how it how it d- that sort of plays out into the future uh okay well i'm ready to, to move forward to uh issue 30 from january 1986 we're in the new year the new year yay uh, covered by Mike Mignola, written by Bill Mantlo, penciled by Mike Mignola. Here we are. We're in, in a new era of Alpha Flight. We've really burst it in. We're not doing the transition anymore. And it, we have this intense, crazy cover. Uh, what happens in Enter Scramble? So, Liam, as we uh, mentioned at the end of the last issue, it's moving day. Uh, Alpha Flight is moving into its new base, uh, which is at Walter Lankowski's parents' property that had been taken over by Gilded Lily, as you might remember many issues back. It's now empty, like really empty. Uh, Even better, apparently anticipating that Alpha Flight would A, want to be funded by the government, and B, work out of this incredibly odd location. Uh, The feds have packed the place with all the latest Canadian technology. They built it. Yeah, they have it all. After a near-miss accident leads to some of the government representatives uh, threatening to confiscate some of the technology back, Heather cries foul. She demands that Alpha Flight be entirely federally funded with absolutely zero accountability or oversight. And I have to say, as a Canadian taxpayer, I have some questions and concerns about that. Um, Shaman, still very, very sad. But instead of reconciling with his estranged daughter or really talking to her at all, he's going to go off by himself for a while. Those Snowbird and Doug Thompson, who now has hair for some reason, they're going to follow him just in case, just to make sure that he keeps out of trouble. Uh, During their first night in the new mansion, Heather, she's wandering around and she's shocked to discover that Box and Jeffries have been restoring the Guardian suit. Uh, She absolutely loses it for a moment, but eventually realizes that actually might be a good thing to have around. I wonder how that's going to play out. That said, they really need to work on the internal communication between the members because it's weird that she wouldn't have known that they were doing this. On that note, having heard Jeffries offhandedly mentioning his own brother, she decides to look him up in the internal computer system and then, discovering that he's a surgeon in Montreal, she flies off by herself to recruit him without discussing it with anyone. Uh, I guess she just thinks that this is part of being a leader. you got to go off and recruit new members uh, without actually... New family members of current members. A family member of a member who just joined, by the way. So it turns out Lionel Jeffries, the brother, he's been locked away in a hospital for years in a containment suit. And Heather, using her Alpha Flight all-access pass, immediately lets him loose. And along with all the patients in the hospital, gets turned into a weird flesh monster. Alpha Flight eventually arrives, finding only hideous mutant creatures. But that's Montreal for you. And uh, Madison Jeffries explains that his brother had the power to alter flesh, just like he had the ability to alter metal. And the two of them volunteered to go to Vietnam to use their abilities to help. Finding that he couldn't restore the dead, Lionel ended up ended up losing his mind, and Madison did the only thing he could as a caring brother. He locked him away in a tiny room for a decade. Uh, eventually, the two brothers face off, and in a unique twist, Lionel basically compares Madison's brain to his own, correcting his mental illness and curing everyone in the hospital. Um, not sure that's how mental illness works, but no harm done in this case. In the aftermath, nobody notices that a very large body in the morgue that has been touched by Lionel, a.k.a. Scramble, that's his uh, character name, uh, had started to move around. I guess that's going to set up the next issue or some issue in the future. And that's what happens in this very busy uh issue of alpha flight Whew. action and talking packed issue let's start though with the cover uh of issue number 30 here adriana what do you think of this cover i really love this cover i mean we have scramble uh raising unleashing his army of, of frankenstein monsters uh <laughs> on alpha flight 
and uh, in, in the back, I looked in the background. We have the sort of Kirby crackle thing going yeah. on, which is a, I I always love that. Doug, what do you think? Uh, this one feels very Mignola esque, uh, particularly the Cronenbergs that are all surrounding our our Alpha Flight members. There, you can tell that there's a lot of creativity, uh, and in the issue proper as well. I can't wait to talk about that. But you really get a sense that uh, that this is something different. This does not feel like a burn cover. This feels like something a little bit more atmospheric, a little darker, um, and uh, and it. This is something that actually reflects what happens inside as well. So yeah, this is a big win all around. Don't know if I really feel the design of uh, the Lionel Jeffries uh, costume here on the cover. Looks a little baggy. Not that impressive to me. But um, I do have to say, having read the issue, that I am very curious about it. And I do think that they did some interesting things with the backstory. But we'll talk about that in a minute. But aside from that, yeah, no, I I really love it. I love love how the the kind of... The the transition to kind of gray in the middle is a sort of separation, and there's these foreground elements and the background elements. It gives it a real 3D quality. And Doug, to your point about this cover looking particularly Mignola-esque, I mean, if you look at the creatures, they're all very detailed. It's not just like he's drawing the same thing over and over again to fill up space. That's he true. He takes the time uh, to give each creature sort of its own unique uh, facial characteristics and, and details. And I think, you know, that just really shows the kind of care that he puts into his work. He has a lot of interest in the grotesque. And I think you can see yeah. the amount of time that he puts into making those characters feel individual. There's a certain irony here, though, uh, in that this cover is very much to me, like you said, Doug, establishing this as a new thing, as a different thing, as a different vibe. And yet when Byrne did decide to do horror when he was doing the Alpha Flight, he was always very good at it. And it, I look at this cover and think, why didn't Byrne ever do a cover this upsetting? You know what I mean? Like he did stuff that was upsetting and he did it very well. So why didn't he ever do a cover that was like this? Like that would have been so engaging for any number of plot lines that they sort of did. It's it's just kind of funny to me to be like, oh, it's a new thing. Only it's a new thing that like Byrne could have done, but it just never was really he never really brought that out, at least on a cover. Um uh, but I have to agree with you guys. It's really striking image. Um, I, I do think the at the bottom, Puck is a little stylized. He's looking way more jacked than he's <laughs> ever looked before in this comic. But I kind of wish he always looked like that. I kind of wish that was actually the standard for him because I, I like him as this like super jacked. Like Liam, I'm, you just want all the members of Alpha Flight to be thick daddies, and I'm right there with you. <laughs> no, I, I, I'm, fine with, I'm fine with North Star being a thin dandy. That's fine. That works for him. <laughs> All right, well, let's talk about this issue here. Uh, Doug, what did you think of this issue, especially with this first movement we have of going to uh, formerly destroyed Langowski's parents' property? It's really strange how this issue starts. I mean, the, the fact they... It's weird because, you know, when Walter went to that property and they had their little... Uh, him and Aurora had that, that kind of uh, side story, he was going with the idea that it could be a property that could be used by Alpha Flight. But now that Walter is dead, the idea of using it seems a little off. And again, how much time has passed from the last issue to this one? It's a little hard to to tell. If it's been a long time, then that makes a little bit of sense that the government has, you know, this is a property that is, quote unquote, <laughs> owned by the Canadian government now. So they can just use it for this property, for this, for, for this purpose, I should say. And, you know, they're renovating and all that. But the suggestion is kind of like, this has been in flux for a while now. And if you think that's the case, and it's a little bit strange. Obviously, they're making a real strong point of saying, you know, the Canadian government, they're going to let you do whatever you want. And that is transparently going to be an issue later uh, where there there's clearly going to be a bunch of oversight that is not going to be believed. But honestly, Heather comes off as being really naive in regards to, I mean, why would Alpha Flight get this support from the government? This This kind of unlimited financial support and technological support with no oversight at all. It makes no sense. And I mean, it made even less sense in Brian Mulroney's 1980s government than it did in Pierre Trudeau's 1970s government or early 80s government. Uh, so it, it really, it strikes me as setting the table for future conflict, which again is what you're supposed to be doing in, a, in, a, uh, in an issue like this where you're kind of restarting things. Though I do have to say that once we got past the settling in and the characters are moved in and then they have that 
the, the action moves over to Montreal. I really love the second half of this issue. I really think there's a lot of interesting stuff. And I, I love the idea that they decided to bring this body horror material out in Montreal, that there is that kind of Cronenberg connection that's going on there. I don't know if that was intentional or not, but I really like how that, that plays out. I like the Jeffrey's brother material. I mean, again, like I said in the, in the summary, the, the idea that they've locked this character away and there's been no mention of him previously, I mean, that's very comic book stuff, but I really like how that plays out. But I want to hear other people's thoughts on the second half. Well, really, on both halves of the issue, but I really think things pick up in the second half. Yeah, I'm with, I'm with you, Doug. And, like, Alpha Flight, uh, if there's one thing this book has been really consistent on, it's, it's sort of always delivered when it comes to body horror and grotesque transformations and, and, and bizarre supernatural scenarios. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there, there was always the strong horror element bubbling beneath the surface, which Liam pointed out when he was talking about the cover, you know, that Byrne would occasionally bring to the fore. And I like that Mantlo is, is grandfathering that aspect of Byrne's run into his own, um, pretty much right off the bat. Uh, and, this is a really dark issue. Oh, yeah. uh, not just not just in terms of um, the horror aspect, uh, but you know the whole backstory with Jeffrey's brother and and the fact that they were in the Vietnam War and there is some element of post traumatic stress disorder at play and the fact that he was locked away for for years and years. Uh, it, it's heavy stuff. Um, and yeah, so I w- I was kind of taken aback. By that aspect of it, especially since, as as you pointed out, Doug, this issue gets off to a, a very light start. I mean, light in tone, and then it takes a very hard left turn. Um, I kind of I dig the scrambles aesthetic. It's kind of like GI Joe Cobra Command meets <laughs> My Bloody Valentine minor chic. Yeah, but no, that's I enjoyed how this issue goes into some pretty dark areas. Yeah, I I I gotta agree with you as far as I'm bringing in the sort of horror aspect here, and and you know I get that we're supposed to be thinking of Alpha Flight as the Canadian Avengers, but in a way they're really more like the Magic X Men. You know what I mean? Like yeah, that that they have this cosmic aspect. Um, that, you know, it's in the Avengers, but it was not played up as much, at least in the Avengers that I'm familiar with. Uh, but it's something that they could really go with. And if they're going to be in all these magical, religious, mythical spaces, why not play a lot of that stuff for the fear aspect of it for the creepy aspect of it, um, which we've seen in the past, you know, with, uh, even with, uh, shaman fighting an egg monster that that was all it is in and of itself. Kind of crazy. <laughs> um, so, uh, I think the more that they can explore stories like that, it, it's going to be interesting into the future. And, and I think they do do some of that as well. Uh, I want to bring up the, we, we mentioned how the beginning, I mean, I got to agree with y'all the beginning of this thing, I don't care. They're moving into the house. I don't need to see. I mean, even even the the drama that we have is 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 just a reminder of like what people's abilities are and what they're capable of. It's all very light. I don't really care. The back half of the issue is great. I love the Jeffrey's character. In fact, if anything, I'm a little mad that it resolves so quickly. I feel like this is a strong enough character that we could have done a two issue storyline with them just to see more of him. You know doing horrifying things to people you know and there's something about that that really appealed to me so i kind of wanted more i'll take it even further than that liam i think he could have been an ongoing villain for alpha flight i mean it just seems like a character that has kind of a mirror image version of one of the powers i guess the only thing that's limiting that is the fact that jeffries is such a new character to the group but i mean this is a character that i feel like you could bring back again and again as a villain with with a very justified reason for being so upset, A, for having uh, post-traumatic stress disorder, and B, having his brother just lock him away as opposed to dealing with it in any uh, any reasonable way. Uh, but so- I think they wanted to redeem – they wanted to fix him yeah. almost because they had made him so sympathetic. I think so. Which is a weird thing for comic books, right? Like all of my favorite Marvel villains are sympathetic. Like you know what I mean? So – why not keep him as a sim? So yeah, whatever. I, I, I was saying all that though because I I want to b- before uh, we skip past it. There's one little plot note we didn't really talk about, which is uh, Shaman just running away from everything. What did you all <laughs> think about this? For me, I'm a little like, uh, hasn't he learned his lesson yet? That retreat it, from those who care about him 
even if he's hurt them, is not necessary. I mean, this is what happened with Talisman the first time. So to have this again, it, it's it's a weird character choice. I don't know, Adriana. What did I'm you think of this, of this thing? Yeah, it's weird, yeah. right? It's it seems like a huge step back for his character. Mm. Mm. Doug, what do you think? I know you don't like emotions or engaging them with people. So <laughs> be that as it may, I. It's a little early for me to make a judgment on it. You can see, you know, he's trying to explain himself that basically he needs to go off and find himself. And but it it because there's something so unresolved with his daughter, and because that's a long-standing part of his character at this point, where he became estranged, but apparently did not try to reconnect, or at least it was never voiced that he tried to reconnect with her during all that time that they were estranged. I mean, it, he is the one who has wronged her both in his eyes and in her eyes. So what is stopping him from trying to make that connection again? It does really feel like he's running away. Um, but I guess it's really also a way to keep Snowbird um, as part of the story in some way. Right. The real story here is that Doug has hair now and is actually like a modicum more attractive. <laughs> I mean, that's the Mignola biggest editorial. Really doing wonders for... <laughs> Well, that's All the biggest the editorial the change they've made, right? Like, that they were like, yeah, Byrne had some things right, but this whole Doug thing, why is Doug the worst? Let's make Doug <laughs> less of the worst. I mean, I don't like hearing that, but I do have to say, I don't want to put it out there that just because a man is balding or bald, that he is oh, no. less attractive or unattractive. That is not what we're saying. We're just saying that this character, when when given hair, is obviously more attractive. <laughs> well, even the way he's drawn, though, like, Burn, I mean, maybe Burn didn't intend it this way, but the interpretation I got from Burn's drawing of Doug is that Doug is a sap. And yeah. If that's not what he meant, right. then he drew him wrong. He looks like, like Dale Gribble. The <laughs> and this, this Doug, we only see him briefly, but he looks more like the kind of dude that you could see like, oh, I get it. I get why Snowbird's down. That kind of makes sense. You know, I don't know. Um, yeah, I, I don't like this. Sh- this uh, here's the thing. I'm not an expert in made-up indigenous magic that John Byrne made up in his head. Mm-hmm. But I I would make a strong guess that if one wanted to feel confident again and confident enough to do magic, maybe reconciling with your estranged daughter would be like, I don't know, number one on the list. That might be a huge thing in getting you back to being able to pull magic hoo-hahs out of your bag. But uh, apparently, no, it's be alone in the woods again. It just feels like... Uh, it, it's not my favorite part of it. And, and it's funny because I actually like this move even less than the corny beginning part where we're just supposed to believe that the Canadian government's like, yeah, do whatever you want. I don't care. It's fine. You can have all the money. We'll give you yeah, all the money. Yeah, Heather just had to yell at someone and then they, everything was like, oh, geez, well, all right, do whatever you want now. <laughs> well, that's how you know she's a leader because she yelled. So now it's like, right. oh, you really are the leader of Alpha Flight. It's something. Something I wanted to talk about is there's a moment where uh, when they when they discover that Heather has been transmogrified into this creature by Scramble, uh, Puck immediately rushes to her aid mm-hmm. and he calls her my angel, mm-hmm. uh, which I think that really settles the question of whether Puck has any kind is harboring any kind of feeling for Heather. Uh, but the thing that made me crack up is North Star's over there like, <laughs> no, he was just trying to comfort her in her affliction and. In that moment, he kind of just sounds like all of the people who, to this day, still deny that there there was any kind of like gay subtext in how his character was written. But I thought that was like a very weird meta moment that it was not intentionally so, but I found it very amusing. It's also a weird moment because the last time we saw Heather thinking about Puck, it was not to me in the most oh, yeah. flattering sense. She's this. I mean, this whole sequence that where dwarf she's, with no powers when she's just wandering around the house thinking all these negative thoughts and whatever. It's like, I mean, here's the thing. I, I don't know what you know. We we don't necessarily know everything Byrne was thinking, but it felt to me like towards the end of his run that Heather was being set up more and more as a leader. And the idea that, like, here we are, she's she's in charge, she's gotten the funding they need, whatever, and all she's doing is just wandering around, like, wringing her hands about all the failings of her team. It's just a weird narrative decision in some ways. Yeah. On the other hand, it does feel like something Heather would have done a year ago, so it's almost like we've kind of reset the character. Yeah, bit. yeah, yeah, yeah. I also like that she's, like, snooping on on Puck while he's sleeping. And then she goes, since I'm already snooping, I might as well snoop some more. (laughs) (laughs) It is, I mean, again, I'm, I've already voiced several times that I'm not totally convinced about Heather as the leader of the Alpha Flight or her credentials for doing so. Um, 
But here, I mean, it, it kind of reinforces a lot of that, even to the point where her going off by herself to try to recruit Lionel Jeffries, she is the one who ends up unleashing him and causing all of this. You know, I just want a story where Alpha Flight are not causing the problem that they have to solve. <laughs> I appreciate that. I think you're right. I do think, though, there's a suggestion. I'm not saying I'm convinced by it, but the way the book is written, there's a suggestion that part of the problem here is secrets, right? It's not just that she did something not smart, which I think is clear, but I think it's also that um, that there is this secret that she hasn't been filled in on, and if she's going to be the leader, then maybe they need to communicate some of the things. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, communication yeah, I, is definitely the issue there. I do think that it's kind yeah, of... Yeah, that's a running... Uh, I was just going to say that I do think it's kind of silly that at the, at the end of the book, they're like, you know... This uh, Lionel Jeffries would have eventually escaped anyway, so it's a kind of a good thing that we dealt with him now, as opposed to having to deal with them later. But th- that kind of feels like an excuse for why, you know, wh- why Heather had to go and cause this in the first place. I mean, I-, I hear what you're saying. I think the issue for me is, you know, part part of uh, Jeffries joining the team is her, you know. Uh, her deceased husband knew all these things. He was in on it. He knew all the stuff about everyone. And so they keep acknowledging her as a leader in some sense, but they don't, they don't mean it all the way because she isn't, they don't keep her informed about what's going on. She hasn't been given all the information. It's like, you know, if James had not been informed and then he had a little, I mean, I'm actually of the opinion, Doug, that if we take Heather out and we put James in the same situation, only it's someone else who has the information, he doesn't have it. I say he does the same thing. I think he would get in the thing and go by himself and try to figure this out on his own. I think, actually, she's acting like James there. I think yeah. that... The, the- yeah, but I mean, I feel I kind of feel like James seemed as confused about the histories of a lot of the group members as Heather seems. It didn't seem like he had any special insight. He and knew, I mean, she has apparently this, an though. internal internet that tells her summaries of all these people. You know, as a leader, this isn't something she should be looking at for the first time. This is something that she should be studying well, in no, some detail. Well, no, they cover that in the narrative. She did look into it. It wasn't there that it was behind the secret wall that James had all the info for. <laughs> and so then she used the code to get through to find out that extra information. So... Yeah, a little curiosity really helped her out there. By the way, this is the first time first time that they mentioned that there was an internal Alpha Flight internet that had all these summaries. Yeah, hey, it's a good thing to no, have. No, that's uh, also not true. I, we learned about that very early on when uh, she, James is still around and she has entered all their information in the computer that calls them when there's a problem. And it's all Oh, that's right, but we never enter it in. Which, by the way, she's basically right. his personal assistant as well as his wife very early. The the, the You probably forgot that moment because it was so blatantly sexist and weird that you were like why is she on her own doing all the data entry for this uh you know uh superhero organization just in their closet like the computer was in their closet at their apartment and she's sitting in there doing the data entry it was very weird well heather still sucks (laughs) i i i I, here's what i will say to you doug i have positive feelings towards heather and i'm not alone a lot of alpha flight fans do but i do think that happens more over time. So I think with all the information you have up to this point, I have to agree. She's not being written in a way where there's a lot of endearing. And and I think what little ground was gained with burn seems here in two issues to have gone out the window where on one hand, Mantlo wants us to accept her as the new leader. On the other hand, she's just keeps screwing up or all she has is insecurity. It just seems like at this point she should feel a little bit like, okay, I'm at least doing what I'm supposed to be doing. Yeah. She just kind of wallowing in self pity. Which yeah, is not yeah. Well, I'm just, I'm just glad that she is so horrified by the reconstruction of the super suit because of how it reminds her of the horrific death of her late husband. That there is no way in the world that that super suit and her are somehow going to come together <laughs> in that. Like she, I mean, that would be impossible, right? It makes total no no sense at all because every time she sees that suit, it just brings back all these terrible memories. So that's something that I, Doug Tilly, don't ever have to worry about seeing. <laughs> I'm sure Jeffries will wear it. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, let's let's uh, go ahead and start talking about the art um, uh, of this issue, which we've we've kind of touched on a little bit. Uh, but I'll start with you, Adriana. What what stood out to you particularly about the art in this issue? Well, again, like the the panel layout layouts are really sticking out to me, and they just, they just seem a little more dynamic and and in tension than what we've been seeing and discussing over the last few episodes. But like, I I, I don't know, maybe. That's just me. 
I completely agree. I think it's true. I think even even when it's not, you know, there are definitely sections where the art is bleeding over into panels and stuff. But I just even think like the way the panels are set up, it's so much more interesting to read. There's so much more engaging sort of flow. And even like my favorite is um, when the when uh, uh, Alpha Flight first gets to the hospital all the panels have been sort of oriented in a very sort of straight fashion. And then we get to the first picture of all the kind of uh, mutated by Jeffrey's creatures and everything is a scant. It's like off to an angle in that panel. And it really helps yeah. sort of uh, give you this feeling that there's this like r- almost reality shifting horror coming towards them of these Cronenberg creatures, you know? Um, Absolutely. Yeah. Doug, what, what, what stood out to you about the art in this issue? I mean, certainly the Cronenbergs are what really stand out. I will say that that panel where they discover Heather and she's sort of half transformed, it's grotesque in a really unique and sympathetic and sad way where she's like telling them to, why did they follow, why did you follow me? I mean, obviously that's a weird thing for her to say because they're superheroes who are probably the only people in the entire country equipped to deal with what's happening. But that particular panel, and the kind of the way that Puck responds to it and how – I mean, it's a really sad, maudlin moment in a superhero book. And in Alpha Flight, we don't get a lot of those moments. So, I mean, I think it's really extremely well done. But also uh, what uh, Adriana was mentioning about the kind of storytelling um, – there's like little subtle things like in the background of the Vietnam sections where it's all black in the in the very background and the panels are kind of laying on top of it as this sort of flashback that's occurring. Uh, it gives me the and, – and even – I mean it's such a uh, compressed story where they have to tell this, oh, we volunteered for Vietnam. Uh, my brother, he wanted to rescue and, and save everyone. He saw these horrific things. He was traumatized by it. He wanted to be able to bring people back to life, and he wasn't able to. And he's able to do that entire story and tell it. And there's a lot of text there, but really in a lot of uh, – a lot a, a really significant backstory in like six or seven images. It's really, really impressive. Uh, I, I do have to say that I'm a little – depressed by the fact that Mignola is not going to be on this book for much longer uh, because I'm, I'm taking to his art a lot and I really like his take on these characters. And if Bill Mantlo is going in this direction of sort of maybe darker or more um, grotesque uh, situations for them to encounter, and I don't know if that's necessarily the case, uh, Mignola is the person to tackle it, but uh, we're going to see it some different takes on, on Alpha Flight with different artists in the very near future. But uh, Mignola, I think, has been a highlight of this transition. Yeah, I definitely uh, feel very good about it. I, I, I mean, I will say I don't always love uh, Mignola's faces mm. um, in a couple spots. And this was true in um, a little bit in the last issue, but I'm thinking of going back to the to the shaman um intersection there there's one place where his face just looks a little off to me um and and it's interesting because when i'm when it's not a close-up of a face i actually think i i'm starting to prefer uh mignola's art in some ways especially as adriana already pointed out that the paneling and the sort of the flow the narrative flow is so much better than what we've been dealing with recently um but sometimes the face close-ups they don't feel consistent to me um and uh maybe that's just my me being too picky or something but it's the only thing that kind of stands out to me is like i'm not sure if i love that Meanwhile, a lot of the other things that are going on, especially the stuff that y'all highlighted already, I really love and feels like kind of a really nice breath of fresh air after uh, what felt like Burn was starting to kind of give up a little bit on Alpha Flight. So. I mean, I think that I think that's the real that's what you're really talking about, Liam. Is that this is a it's something different. I mean, we just it was like 30 issues of a very similar art style. And I think Byrne is terrific. And I think, you know, really when he was stretching himself and testing himself, and especially when he was doing things that were a little darker, he, he always uh, rose to the occasions, but it's just nice to see something different, a different style, especially a very capable artist doing a different style. And it is really refreshing. And it's something that, that we felt, I think in the incredible Hulk comic that we talked about, but we're really feeling here as well. I will say, too, that I would be really curious to see uh, Alpha Flight drawn now by him, like what mm. his style, his 
his very kind of angular Hellboy style would look like back in a superhero comic book. I just think that'd be interesting, but I don't know. Absolutely. Uh, I don't know. That's Liam, the- Liam, can we talk about the the architectural page in this issue where they show the layout yes. of the new Alpha Flight digs? Yeah, I'm sure you were stoked on that because you love stuff like that. That's like right up your I head. actually, I, you know, uh, you are mocking me, I think, but uh, I do love stuff like that. I, I love that uh, in some of those... Uh, reference books that that Marvel put out, where they would break down weapons and break down locations. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I'll, I dug into that. I mean, I, I I like the idea that I don't like stories that are necessarily beholden to continuity, but I do like a consistency of space. I like when something is is said to be laid out like a one way that it is consistently laid out that way all throughout it. And I know that that's hard to do with comics where you have a lot of different brains and a lot of different creative forces. But I love things like this where you you are told this is what the first floor of Alpha Flight's headquarters looks like. This is what the second floor. This is what the third floor looks like. So if Heather is outside Puck's door watching him sleep like a creepoid, that she is in this part of the house. And when she moves over to this part, right, this is where she's going. And I really like being able to picture in my mind in three-dimensional space how that works out. And so you get an architectural layout of the location. And I I really love it. I mean, it 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 is – it really adds to that feeling of, oh, this is a new beginning. And this is going to be a location that they're going to be sticking with for a long time because it tells you exactly where things are from here here to there. It, there are some quirky things about it. I do have to say, uh, I love how on the first floor, there's a part of the room that just says computer. Like you need to have a room. Well, I guess you kind of do for the computer that they use. But I just thought it's kind of funny because they have like huge labs elsewhere. But but in the first floor, you just need a, one location for the computer. I mean, I appreciate that it, it looks just on my looking at it that uh, Marina probably has the smallest room. So I appreciate that. Look, the fact that she has a room at all to me is a Hopeful. gigantic win. Yeah, it's it's so optimistic. <laughs> no, no one wants to sleep next to her in any of the rooms. <laughs> Everyone's given a lot of space, but uh, but hey, you know what? Snowbird, Marina, and Shaman on one floor—that sounds like a good time. Now, I'm actually wrong. It looks like weirdly, Box has the smallest room, and I don't know that that's a good call. That seems odd. <laughs> Look, I'm already getting the impression that Bill Mantlow does not have a lot of respect for Box. <laughs> not great. I also, he's, like that. Hey, he's on the second floor. I hope this thing is wheelchair accessible. Yeah, there's an there's an elevator. Yeah. Okay, yeah, good. In the, de- in the design, there's an elevator. All right. Well, I'm glad we uh, we stopped to talk about that. Uh, uh, Adriana, do you also have a weird interest in made up uh, architecture? I mean, maybe not as much as Doug, but I did enjoy that aspect <laughs> of the comic. And uh, I have read House of Leaves twice, so. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> All right. Well, I'll be the one person who's like, yeah, I couldn't care less about this particularly. That's not really true, though. I say that now because I, I'm not too interested now. When I was a kid, I remember reading this issue because I found the 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 other Jeffrey's brother so upsetting it like this issue stuck with me and I probably looked at this very intensely I loved stuff like this when I was a kid um, I also got all those description issues that talked about well you know the various headquarters and the the, the you know the, what the Quinjet was like and all that kind of stuff so you know I, I I get I get why this would appeal it's just now as an adult I'm kind of like yeah whatever it's a house cool like it just is not as interesting for me but a lot of my joy has uh, one, left, so I one, guess that's probably what that is. <laughs> that that does happen as one gets older, Liam. Uh, one thing I didn't mention in either of the plot summaries is um, the new wrinkle between Aurora and Northstar, which is that if they touch that uh, – it, before, it, they used to be able to create that you know brilliant flash of light. But now when they touch, they actually lose their abilities, um, which is something that plays out in these issues a little bit. Uh, I don't know. Was that mentioned in previous issues before this they one? Just it just it felt it. like they it was more. It. Yeah, they ju- they just discovered it, and I think you know that's a that's a pretty interesting wrinkle, uh, though it it does feel like part of a continuing effort to separate them as a uh, a two person team. I don't love you know, along with our new hairstyle and our new costume that right. no longer you know looks like him. Adrian, I want to ask you what you think about this, but I'll just say really quick: I don't love it only in the sense that. Uh, all we've done in this, you know, 30 issues of Alpha Flight, it feels like, is throw various obstacles in their way. And I'm just mm-hmm. kind of tired 
of that. Like, I kind of just want to see them, like, be awesome. They need a win really bad. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. And so this is just another thing that makes it hard for them to do what they need to do that they can't touch. Like, how many handicap? Oh, that's not fair. How many obstacles, difficulties, uh, struggles do we have to put to this team before we just get to see them be awesome? It's just starting to be excessive to me, the amount that we need Alpha Flight to suffer before we can see them be good. Especially considering all the things that are happening in this issue, not only the problem with Aurora and Northstar, but, I mean, uh, Shaman was depowered. Um, Heather is in this uh, never-ending spiral of self-doubt and uh, self-pity. Um, you know, Talisman is MIA. Um, it, yeah, it's, it's a lot. Oh, and Walter's dead. So yeah, it 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 it's definitely I'm getting a a, a bit of um, I guess for for lack of a better term a bit a bit of failure fatigue. I, it would be mm. nice for things to turn around a, a little bit, especially now that they have um, Gary Cody back and the government backing them. It just seems like they they should be able to come away from things with that with at least some a, a, a bit of like a victory. I mean. They did defeat the Hulk technically, although all he did was just run away, and they were kind of like, "All right." Even the situation with Lionel Jeffries, he fixed himself. It was it was it was Madison who had the idea to like put his hands on his own brain, but even that, like, no hero stuff they did fixed the situation, and mm-hmm. it would just be nice to see them be good at being heroes for a couple of stories. That would be great. I don't know. Anyways, well, that was issue number thirty. Uh, anything else you guys want to mention uh, before we wrap up the episode? I mean, I'm curious about where it's going next. Like I said, I'm I'm he- hesitant about the fact that Mignola is going to be giving way to uh, a, a few artists I know in the in the near future. Uh, but I'm also excited because uh, one thing after a consistent run by Byrne that I like to see is just different people, different artists takes on these characters, and I do want to see if Doug Thompson's hair returns to being. Uh, what it was like before if he continues to have a luscious head of hair that makes him very attractive. I would like to see him not around because he doesn't matter to the story. (laughs) That's what I would like. Uh, Well, on the next episode, we'll be talking about Alpha Flight issues 31 and 32, so feel free to revisit those to be prepared for the discussion. Uh, And thank you so much for listening to uh, this episode. We're so glad that we have so much support, uh, and we thank you for not just listening, but telling your friends and uh, uh, letting us know if you have any questions, comments, whatever, uh, you can get in contact with us. One way you can get in contact with us is on Twitter. Hey, John, if they want to find us on Twitter, what what is our Twitter handle? We're, I know we're on there. What What is it again? It's at FlightStuffPod. And what if people want to follow you on Twitter? Uh, they can find me at EADXBB. Uh, and Doug, if for some strange reason they want you to torture their Twitter feed, how would they find you? You can find me on Twitter, Liam O'Donnell, at Doug underscore Tilly. That's T-I-L-L-E-Y. And uh, you can follow everything Cinepunks is doing on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram at Cinepunks. That's C-I-N-E-P-U-N-X. And check out some of the other shows on the network. Uh, We've got another comic show, The Tomb of Ideas, that covers Marvel horror comics. We've got our uh, flagship podcast, Cinepunks, as well as a horror podcast, Horror Business, and a narrative podcast that uh, called... uh, Black Sun Dispatches that tell stories, uh, short stories every episode. So check those out. Uh, support the network. Uh, and we just thank you so much for listening. Uh, flight stuff out.